Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Now, one other incident we will discuss before we end today. Historians have revealed that after the incident of Gharaniq, you know, that supposed incident, we have Surah Abasa being revealed. Surah Abasa wa Tawalla. It's one of the chapters that were revealed in Mecca. Basically, to summarize the story, the Prophet was sitting with a group of high-ranking members of Quraysh, the pagans. He was having a discussion with them in hopes that they would become Muslim. While the Prophet was in that gathering, Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum walks into that gathering. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum was not only poor, but he was blind. He was blind and he was poor. So he comes next to the Prophet, he hears the Prophet's voice, he comes to him and he tells him, you know, I have a few questions about some verses from the Qur'an, so please explain to me, give me knowledge. According to Sunni hadith, the Prophet got disappointed in him, you know, why is he disrupting my meeting? So he turns his face from him. When he turns his face, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals Surah Abasa rebuking the Prophet and telling him, Abasa wa tawalla an ja'ahu al-a'ma, you frown and turn your face when the blind man comes to you, meaning because he's a blind man. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues rebuking him. The vast majority of Sunni scholars, exegetes, historians believe that this verse was revealed about the Prophet He was sitting with a group of rich people. When that poor guy, the blind man came in, the Prophet felt uncomfortable. He turned his face and he frowned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then rebukes him. Why did you do that? We'll read the verses in detail. We the followers of Ahlul Bayt reject this. We believe that this is not compatible with the akhlaq of the Prophet with other verses in the Holy Quran. So here's our critique. Now by the way, those claim, you know some other uh, narrations claim that after this incident, the Prophet was never seen showing concern for the rich. Because God rebuked him, he made it upon himself not to show any concern for the rich, to sit with them, to give them time, forget about it because God rebuked me. They had, they have another hadith by Al-Hakam or actually this one by Ibn Zayd. He says if the Prophet could hide one of the verses of the Quran, he would hide this verse because it was so embarrassing for him. God rebuked him. So if he could hide a verse from the Holy Quran, he would have hid Surah Abasa. He would have hidden Surah Abasa, which is, you know, very ridiculous. Now, what's our critique of this? First of all, the chain of transmission. When we look at these hadiths, the Senate, the chain, those people who narrated this is highly problematic. Why? Because these hadiths are general, generally narrated by or attributed to Aisha, 
Ibn Abbas or Anas ibn Malik? What do you notice about these three when the Prophet was in Mecca? Do you notice anything? Exactly. They were either little kids or they were not born. Aisha was a young girl at the time. She must, it's not possible for her to have witnessed this when she was like two, three years old. How old was she? Ibn Abbas was not even born. He was not even born when this incident happened. Anas was not even in, Medi in, in, in Mecca. He was in Medina. He was born in Medina. Later when the Prophet came to Medina, then he was young and he joined the religion of Islam. So we don't have an eyewitness account. Neither Aisha or Anas or Ibn Abbas witnessed this. So who's the one who witnessed this event that the Prophet was sitting and he frowned and he turned his face and then God revealed this. Who are they narrating this from? What's their source? See Aisha doesn't say the Prophet told me, she just narrates the incident. Anas doesn't say the Prophet later told me this is what happened or another companion told me, they just narrate this and they were not eyewitness, uh, you know, uh, what, those who witnessed, they were not eyewitness reports. That's a fundamental problem in the chain. As for those other hadiths that are attributed to the tabi'een, to the second generation of Muslims who came after the Prophet and never met the Prophet, same idea here, who did they narrate this from? Because we do have hadiths that attribute this incident to some second generation Muslims who came after the Prophet. Well, what was their source? They could not have been witnesses, so who is their source? So it's a broken chain. Therefore, we don't have a solid chain to begin with. That in itself raises a lot of questions about these uh, claims. That's number one. Number two, it seems if you read Surah Abasa, it seems from the tone of the verses that this was a habit of this man that he would be with the rich people and if a poor person would come, he'd get agitated, he would feel uncomfortable, he would frown and turn his face. If you look at the tone of the verses, it's not like, uh, you know, the sporadic event. No, it seems that this was a habit and this is not compatible with the manners of the Prophet No historical account, you know, narrates that the Prophet was like that. In fact, he had a lot of concern for the poor. Number three, when we look at the biography of the Prophet, we see the Prophet would not frown in the face of his own enemies. In his, in his own enemies' faces, he would not frown. He's going to frown in a poor blind guy in his face. That's impossible. This is not compatible with the akhlaq of the Prophet. Number four, this contradicts the descriptions of the Prophet in the Quran. For example, one verse states, that a messenger has come from amongst you. He is so concerned about you. He is so compassionate with you. I ask you this question. If a blind man comes from your followers and you turn your face on your frown, is this compassion? Is this showing concern for your people? He was the most kind and compassionate with the believers, with his own followers. So how is this possible? Another verse, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Allah describes the Prophet of having utmost high character. Is this compatible with the character of the Prophet? Impossible. 
Number five, we actually have a verse in the Quran that tells us some Muslims told the Prophet, they told him, look, you sit a lot with poor people. We'll be honest with you, rich people don't like that. If you are interested in rich people joining you, you should kick those poor people out. Because when a rich guy comes and he sees there are some poor people around you, they're not interested. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals a verse condemning what those Muslims said and he says to the Prophet, no, don't listen to them. Don't, you know, ask any poor person to leave your gathering. But then the Prophet did that. How is that possible? Allah is condemning those who made the suggestion. And then the Prophet, he does that. He violates the Holy Quran. What kind of a prophet is that? When he's preaching something, he's violating himself. He's preaching a book that says, don't kick out any poor person from your gatherings, but then he did it. How is that possible? What kind of a prophet is that? Yes. Uh, so obviously the whole Quran is in the heart of the prophet. But chronologically, this verse that you just mentioned, is this before or after Adam? This incident of... No, 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 the verse that you just mentioned about... Um, no, 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 not Kulkul Azim, where the Muslims are rebuked. And Allah says, don't listen to them about not sitting with the poor. This, according to historians, this might be before that verse, before Abasa wa Tawalla, yes. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before Abasa wa Tawalla is commanding the Prophet not to keep away any poor people from your gathering, then a while after he does it, that's impossible. He would not violate that. So yes, this came before it. Number six, when you continue the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, you know, Abasa wa Tawalla. First of all, Allah doesn't say who. He turned his face, he frowned. Then God is saying to that person who frowned, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَّكَّ Right? And then in another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, وَمَا عَلَيْكَ أَلَّا يَزَّكَّ That rich person whom you were so concerned about, well, it's none of your business whether he's guided or not. Let me ask this question, what's the business of prophets? To do what? Guide people. How can God tell a prophet, don't guide them? Because the word tazkiyah means to purify people and to guide them. In fact, in Surah Al-Jum'ah, in the second verse, what do we recite? He's the one who sent them a messenger from amongst themselves to do what? Number one, what does a prophet do? To recite the verses of God. Number two, purify and guide them. The Quran is very clear that one of the responsibilities of the prophet is to guide and purify people. But Abbasah says, it's none of your business to purify and guide people. That's a contradiction. What's going on here? I thought prophets are supposed to guide and purify people. But Abbasah is addressing that person who frowned, Allah is telling him, it's none of your business. It's not your business whether he is guided or not, whether he's purified or not. Well, that's the biggest business of prophets, to guide people and to purify them, to try with them. So obviously that's not a command to the prophet. We know God is not speaking to his messenger because Allah tells us that his messenger is supposed to do tazakki of people. 
But then here Allah says, It's not your business to do tazkiyah. So who's that person? According to our hadiths, from Imam al-Sadiq he says this verse was revealed about a man from Bani Umayyah. A man from Bani Umayyah. He was desperate for those rich elites to become Muslim. So when this blind man came, he frowned and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed these verses to rebuke him. To rebuke that person from Bani Umayyah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not mentioning who he is, right? So Allah is not saying it's the Prophet or someone else. The Imam says Allah is talking about that person. Now who is that person? There are a number of, of theories, right? The Imam doesn't mention exactly who he is, probably for taqiyya purposes, but according to clues that we have from historical accounts, it probably was Uthman because he's from the Bani Umayyah and there are indications that he's the one who did that. Now what you find very strange over here, which is just mind-boggling, if you ever have a discussion with our brothers from other schools of thought, the minute you say it's Uthman, they get defensive and they get agitated and angry and they start attacking us. But it's okay if it's the Prophet, SubhanAllah. The Prophet who's the greatest messenger of God. They accept for him what they don't accept for their caliphs. That's tragic. That's very tragic. How do you accept it for the Prophet? Why do you get defensive? If it's bad for the Prophet, if it's bad for Uthman, it's worse for the Prophet. Why do you get defensive? If it's a good thing, then why do you get defensive? So you know this is a good thing, the Prophet. It could apply to the Prophet, it could apply to Uthman. In fact, in fact, let me ask you this. If there is something in the Quran, regardless of what it is, if there's something in the Quran that applies to your Prophet and someone tries to apply it to you, would you be happy or sad? I would fly in the seven heavens. If there's something in the Quran about the Prophet, I don't care what it is. I don't care if that's the greatest creation of God and something is applicable to him and then you come and say, you know what, this is applicable to me or my father or my leader. I would be happy. I would fly. I would tell you, look, I don't care what the tafsir is. If it's applicable to the Prophet and it's applicable to me, I'm very happy. But you see that when you say it's Uthman, they get defensive. Why? Which reveals that in their hearts they know this is bad. This is an attack on whoever this person is. And it's an attack on the Prophet and they accept it for the Prophet. And that's tragic. So we in the school of Ahlul Bayt, we believe this is not about the Prophet It's another person from Bani Umayyah, whoever it is, God knows. It's someone from Bani Umayyah who did this and Allah is rebuking him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rebuking him in Surah Ta'ala. So yes, in between the verses, Allah does speak to the Prophet. You know, he does address the Prophet, uh, but he's talking about another person. And by the way, if Allah wanted to make it clear that this is the Prophet, why would God say he frowned and make it ambiguous like that? He would have just said, you frowned. Because God touched the Prophet in the Quran. He would have told him. Why? And then God switches to the second person. 
because God starts with the third person, He frowned, then God talks in the second person to the prophet. Well, why do you do that? If it was the prophet, keep it all in the second person and just talk to him, which tells you that the subject is changed. When you're talking in the third person, you know, if you're talking to someone, you said, he is the one who committed the crime. And then you talk, oh, and this and that. Well, obviously you're talking about two subjects now. Because if I'm talking to you, I should keep it in the same person, right? Second person. So in any case, in the school of Ahlul Bayt, we completely reject that this was revealed about the prophets. The prophet is higher than doing something like that. And it's unfortunate that many, many have attacked the prophet They don't accept this for their caliphs, but they accept it for the prophet Just like we saw with the satanic verses. When it comes to their leaders, no, Satan falls on his head if he sees them, but he will insert words into the prophet's mouth. Let's appreciate the Ahlul Bayt for protecting our faith and preserving the image of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam.